Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. Hey friends, welcome back to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. It's so good to have you with us today as we talk about how to win at life by building a stronger spirit, soul, and body. I'm your host, Liz Myers, and today our guest is Bob Pasquale. I'm really excited to hear what he has to share with us about using the gifts that we've been given to impact the world for good. And he has a, a fascinating story to, to share with us about some trials and tragedies that he overcame to triumph to be able to come and share these things with us. So thank you for coming on the show today, Bob. It's great to have you. Absolutely, Liz. I'm excited to be here. I love the Resilient Life Hack Show. What you guys are doing to motivate people and help them overcome is, is awesome. That's great work. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And I, uh, your message really resonates with me, too, of making impact and, and positive change for the world. And I feel like that's that's the reason why I want to help people overcome their challenges, because only then can we live our God-given purpose of you know what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to serve people um, is when we can get past our own hangups and heal from our own trials and trauma. So can you take us back a little and share with us your, your backstory of um, how you learned to overcome these things? Sure. And I will say this, you, you mentioned about change. I think change is uh, such an important part of life. If, if we are stagnant and static, then things things get, tend to get monotonous. So I, I realized change in my life, which in some cases was uncomfortable, ultimately ended up being the best thing for me as time moved on. So I, I will mm -hmm. definitely support the change movement. And that's what we talk about as well. Making a positive impact is about making change. It's about mm -hmm. changing things that aren't right. So uh, yeah. my my story is is interesting. I, I grew up in South Florida. I was actually born in New York and I moved to South Florida when I was just a kid. My parents moved out to an area west of Fort Lauderdale. If you're familiar with the geography of Florida, it's a very, very long state. It takes quite a while to drive out if you ever try to drive from South Florida up through Jacksonville. But Fort Lauderdale is on the south, on the south end of Florida there in the southeast and out west back in the 80s, there was nothing there. It was Everglades. It was very, very empty. And so I watched it pretty much grow up with me through the years. And so now here we are in 2021 when we're recording this and it's, it's a much different place than it used to be. So I watched change my whole life from when I was younger. It went from being Everglades to now a very highly populated metropolitan area. When I was 18, I had an opportunity to go off to college in New York to Hofstra University, which is on Long Island, not too far from New York City. And I had an opportunity to play sports. I had an opportunity to study what I wanted to study in communication and broadcasting. And I thought my life was great. I was like, well, what? I've been through quite a bit of change in my life. Now let's just settle in, study what I want to study and, and move on with my life. But then things really, I think God had a different plan. Ultimately, God said, you know, what? That Bobby, little Bobby at the time, that's not enough change for you. You need to experience a little bit more. And so when I went up for training camp, now I played football and before the football season starts, here we are recording this right in the middle of uh, towards the end of training camp for NFL season. And I'm sure some, most colleges have already started playing it was right around this time of year, but we hadn't, none of the students are on campus at this point. We're kind of like the only ones there. There's some soccer players and some other athletes, but most of it is pretty empty. 
and you're just all in. I mean, you pretty much own your life for three weeks. You're up early to bed late, studying, practicing, exercising. It's football, football, football. And but you love it. That's that's why you play the game. You love the game. Uh, somewhere early on in training camp, though, I had what I thought was a pulled groin muscle. Now, I don't know if anyone out there has ever pulled a groin muscle. That is not a muscle that you probably realize that you even use very often. I don't know, Liz, I don't know if you've ever had a yeah. pulled muscle anywhere, but the mm -hmm. groin muscle specifically is one that you just don't realize that you use just to walk and backpedal, mm -hmm. get up and sit down. Uh, it's it's very, very painful if it's injured. So I thought I had this injured groin, groin muscle and about a week, week or so went by and I was doing these these training recovery exercises, right? So they give me ice, they stretch it out, look at it's nothing major, you'll be fine. But I was doing these rehab exercises. Now, when you when you get to college, the training staff and the things that you have going on are way different than they are when you're a younger person, like in high school, right? Where there's maybe like a couple student volunteers and maybe one person who's a professional. Well, at the training room on a given morning at 5 30 6 o'clock in the morning has got a hundred people in it there's a million things going on and my rehab exercise if you can picture this liz was i was sitting on a three-wheeled stool that you know i'm, I'm probably my knees are probably the same level of my hips right and my job is or my assignment if you will is to shimmy myself across this busy training room with all this traffic <laughs> now that's probably pretty easy unless you have an injured groin muscle and it was so challenging to do that and then at one point the head trainer stands up amongst all this commotion i don't know if he told everyone to be quiet or it just got quiet somehow miraculously but it went silent and he yells across the training room bobby what are you doing like get back on the field you're fine you're not injured anymore yeah. and you're this 18 year old invincible, at least you think you're invincible athlete mm -hmm. and you kind of macho uh, mindset you have, right? And the head trainer, this little guy calls you out, right? Basically calls you a weakling. It was a little shot mm -hmm. to my confidence. But I said to him, I said, listen, Rick, this is not getting any better. Something's wrong. So he takes me in. We had like a private meeting later that day. I don't know. Maybe it was right there. I don't remember. But he told me, he said, listen, something, if this is truly still bothering you, something's not right. So he sent me to a doctor and after a series of tests, I had to get sonograms and I had to get MRIs and all these other things that I just wasn't used to your 18 year old. I mean, I had a, the worst thing I ever had in my life was a chicken pox. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, but you know, this is kind of a strange experience. This is college. So uh, my parents were supposed to come up for my first game. And on a Thursday, they were flying up to up to New York and they were going to meet me at my uncle's house because my parents, if I if I if you remember, I told you that we had moved down from New York. So I still had family up there and they were going to stay with my uncle and, and, and my aunt and the kids. And so they called me and I had a meeting with a doctor, right? A urologist right after or right during the time that they were on their flight. And they my mom calls me. Right after I got out of the meeting, it was like clockwork. Right after I got out of the appointment, she calls me and goes, oh, how'd the appointment with the doctor go? And I was like, um, the doctor just told me I have cancer. And I could hear it, Liz, on the phone. I could just hear my mom's tears, like yeah. nervous wreck. And my dad in the background, he knew something was wrong too. My mom's name was Susan. And he was like, Susan, Susan, what's going on? What's the problem? And so it was a very, very trying time for me and the family. It was just awkward way to tell your parents uh what happened but i was a, i was a i wasn't a minor anymore as 18 year old so the doctor tells me he tells me what was wrong 
so we met at my uncle's house, shed a few tears, you know, said a few prayers, try to figure out what to do. And it was clear that I wasn't playing in my first college game already at that point on Saturday. And so uh, they, I think it was actually an away game. I think they went to, they, they traveled somewhere. So I wasn't even going with them. I was, I was with the family there on that Saturday. And my uncle's best friend came over the house. And his name was Tim. And he said, you know, Bob and Susan talked to my parents. Here's my keys to my car. I don't need my car right now. I can't only imagine what you're going through with your son and you're going to have, you're going to be at doctor's appointments, take my car and my mom and they, they, they planned on staying longer than the weekend that they were supposed to be there. And so that was Saturday. Fast forward a few days uh, the, to the next week. It's now Tuesday morning. And, and I had already spoken with the oncologist and he told me, listen, there's some kind of treatment plan that I have to develop for you. One thing we will not do though, is completely, drop you from everything you're doing, like still go to class, mm-hmm. your mind busy. Don't just, you know, dwell on your illness. So I went to my second ever college class on Tuesday morning and I came out and it was fine and totally normal. I came out of class. I went to the cafeteria and I was eating a little something for breakfast. And you know, do you remember those tube television, not like a flat screen, but one that, that kind of hangs from the corner of the ceiling that they mm-hmm. would bracket, you know, in a public yeah. place, or a restaurant like that. And I'm watching the TV and I'm eating my whatever I was eating and a plane hits the Twin Towers. One of the planes hits the Twin Towers and I'm thinking, wow, that's that's terrible. Like, it's crazy. So I call my dad and I was like, Dad, did you see that? He's like, yeah, I'm watching this live. That's that's this is terrible. What a tragedy. And then we're talking and all of a sudden the second plane swings around and hits the other tower. And my dad was like, oh, my God, what is going on here? This is this is not an accident. You better come back to your uncle's house. I was like, I hung up the phone, finished what I was eating real fast, hopped in the car. Liz, it took me nine hours to make what was typically a 15-minute drive from from Hofstra University to my uncle's house. And I watched the whole thing in the distance. And I listened. And I, I'm a broadcasting major. I, I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism. I love radio, but I will never listen to nine straight hours of AM radio again in my life. And... I pulled into my uncle's neighborhood and I ran out of gas and we pulled my, we pushed my car into my uncle's driveway and I, we sat in the lip. I'll never forget this. We came into the little dining room area there and we all just looked at each other in silence. Like what is going on in the world right now? Yeah. And I'll never forget that. We could not get a hold of my uncle who was in business the night on business the night before in Denver, supposed to fly into New York city. So my aunt was a nervous wreck. And um, finally, we got it was like five o'clock at night now, and we finally got a hold of him, if not later. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm stuck in Denver. can't get home, but everything's cool. Uh, but but we found out that his best friend, Tim, who we just met and gave us his car, at least to borrow, was in the towers and he perished. Wow. So you asked my story. That was a big chunk of my story. Yeah. And honestly, it took me years to find resiliency, to get over that mentally. Uh, physically, I, it was very challenging too, and I'd be more than happy to dive into that, but the mental aspect was really quite a drain. Yeah, well, you had your life upended twice in one week. I mean, either one of those alone is huge, but back to back, yeah, I can imagine it would take a long time to, to recover from that. When building a resilient life, the first step Liz coaches people to take is to spend time daily with God. 
When you seek God consistently, he will show you the best next step for your journey. If you'd like a peek at how Elizabeth connects with God regularly, download her free prayer guide and journal at elizabethmyers.me forward slash prayer guide. You can now have the same journal Elizabeth uses every day and make it your own. How did you find the ability to, to process all of that and to and to go on with that? I'm the type of person who's very driven. I love accomplishing things, big or small. I like learning. And I felt up until that point in my life that I really just powered through a lot of things. I felt that my effort was the main crux of my recovery, especially physically, <laughs> because my doctor told me, here's the things that I'm going to need you to do. You're young and healthy. That's very, very good. Other than your illness. This is a very, very treatable disease. It's extremely aggressive. If you, if we wouldn't have found this, if, if Rick, your trainer wouldn't, and I owe my life to Rick, if he wouldn't have sent me in, it could have been months and I could have been gone because it had, uh, it was testicular cancer. If I didn't make that, if I, so the groin injury, they thought it was a pulled muscle. It ended up being, that was cancerous in that area. Mm -hmm. And so it spread up to my lymph nodes and my abdomen. So it was pretty aggressive. But he told me, this is the, the treatment schedule. This is exactly what you're going to do. This is the exact amount of drugs you're going to take. You're going to, this is what you should eat. This is what you shouldn't eat. This is how much you should sleep. And I followed everything to a T, Liz. I mean, I did, yeah. I mean, everything perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was able to recover from the disease. I had 20 rounds of chemotherapy, you know, lost my hair, lost quite a bit of weight. Remember, I, you know, I was, I was an athlete. So I, <laughs> my body type changed significantly in that four or five month period of time. And so I thought I powered through, I was like, man, I beat cancer easy. You know, I just kicked it in the teeth <laughs> and it was all me. And so that mentality stuck with me during most of college. I mean, going back, I, I went back to play sports again. I went to school and I graduated and I did all these things that you just, you do, you do when you're in, mm -hmm. when you're 18 to 22, that's what you're supposed to do. I just powered through, but there was a moment in my life where I, it, it hit me mentally. I had this conversation with a pastor from a church, a, a local church there. And he asked me to, he said, well, you got a fascinating story. Why don't you come in? You know, talk, let's talk, let's sit down. So we sat down for probably a half hour and some things started coming out that I just didn't realize that forces in my life. And so I started a couple of years later is when I really started to process this mentally. And it was very, very challenging. There were nights where I thought to myself, why do I belong? I mean, I had survivor's guilt. You know, my cancer is a very, very prevalent situation in our family. And so many, many people have, have lost their lives, including my maternal grandmother, who I never met, and my aunt, and most multiple people have suffered from it, different forms. And I had survivor's guilt. There were days where I was happy that I survived, but I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And then there were times where I was just like, maybe I shouldn't be here. And so <clears throat> a couple of years after college, or actually, no, uh, maybe shortly after college. So I, I'm involved in this uh, mission organization called Spoke Folk, and I had been doing these trips every summer since I was a junior in high school. And the the camaraderie and the the relationships that you build on these trips are, is truly amazing. And so one of them in 2005, I was on, and there was a group of five of us that became really, really, really close friends. And one of those people uh, turned out she's uh, my, is my wife now. 
And we spent a lot of time talking, not dating. We were just, you know, very deep in faith conversations and figuring things out in our lives. And we, at one point we started to get more serious. And this is the turning point in my whole view on what happened to me. My, we were telling stories about high school and, you know, growing up, right? So you're a young couple, you, you, you've been dating for a few months or whatever it might be. Well, maybe it was more like six, maybe almost a year, but we were dating for a shorter period of time, much shorter than we had been alive. <laughs> and we were just reminiscing, like, I was like, you know what? I don't think you would have liked me when I was in high school, <laughs> but she started telling me about her high school experience. And she said to me this, she goes, so I had this teacher in in my school who was, he was everyone's favorite teacher everyone loved this guy and so i was so excited to take his class my junior year of high school and the first day of class he got up in front of the class and and said to said to everyone like you know talked about the syllabus and all these things are going on he said but you know one thing we do a lot in this class is we pray and you know this was a this was a christian school so so they they prayed and he, he said to the class, so what we're going to do this semester is periodically, we're going, everyone in the class, I just, we're going to take some time and we're going to pray for our future spouses. And, you know, you're like a 16, 17 year old girl, boy, or whatever. Like your yeah. teacher says you're going to pray for your future spouse. I can only imagine my, my, I, my eyes would have rolled so far back in my head. They would have turned down. Like, yeah. <laughs> why yeah. are we thinking about our future spouses at this age? So. But nonetheless, they went ahead and, you know, periodically they would do that. And my my wife, her name is Trisha. She never thought anything of it, right? Just life kind of moved on. So fast forward a couple of years now, and we're, we're having this conversation, and we kind of did the math. And when she was in junior high school, she's two years younger than me. I was a freshman in college. And so mm -hmm. while she was praying for me, I was going through my treatment wow. for cancer. And like we just like our mind just exploded when we were having yeah. this conversation with the phone well, and it was so moving it was it was unbelievable to think that someone who didn't even know who i was had had my best interest in mind and was praying to god about me and it was right during the time where i was during the most trying time of my life wow that's an amazing story i love how god weaves those things together that's that's really incredible um what kind of things can you share with others about how they can process their difficulty and then turn that around to to make an impact in others lives and to and to help and serve others i love considering the things that i've gone through in my life from all different angles and what i mean by that is there's some really, really good things in my life that have happened that you can obviously say, like my, you know, getting married, graduating from school, starting a business earlier this year, those type of things are like really mountaintop type of experiences that you can easily say, I've learned something from this, or it's just a great feeling. Mm -hmm. But I also like to look at it in the other direction too and say, okay, you know, so I'm so blessed. What are some things that maybe could have gone wrong or that I can learn from to avoid and continue to avoid in the future or someone else struggle? And then also take those tough times in life, kind of what you're alluding to, and not only, you know, cry, be sad, do the things that are healthy for your psyche, right? So don't ignore the bad things in your life. Don't pretend they didn't happen. But once you've kind of gotten over that period of time, that struggle, then consider what you can learn from them and how it was truly a blessing in your life. And so for me, the number one thing that I do every day, and I started this practice quite a long time ago, is gratitude journaling. One of my favorite suggestions, people ask me, Bob, 
how do I make a positive impact in the world? How do I change the world? How do I solve world hunger? Right? How do I deal with sex and drug trafficking? Like that, these huge problems. And I tell them, you know what? It starts with you first. You got to start simple. And the easiest thing to do is just be thankful for the blessings that are in your life. So making sure every morning that I spend, it's not a lot, it's not a super long period of time. It might be five minutes, but before I check my phone, before I jump on the computer, before I record a podcast, and God knows I love recording podcasts, mm -hmm. before I do any of those things, I make sure that I've taken the time to consider the things that, that I have blessings in my life. And they don't always change. So I'm not always writing something new, but if something new does come up, absolutely. But it's always considering, first of all, I'm a living, breathing human being, which is just an amazing blessing in, in itself. What happened to me in 2001 uh, was extremely unique and I potentially could not be here. So I always want to consider that. I also want to be thankful for my dwelling. I've done, my wife and I have done quite a bit of work helping families that don't have homes. We're blessed to have a home, blessed to have food. I'm blessed to even have my wife. So there's just things that I want to be thankful for every day, even if they seem super simple, right? I tell kids this, my wife and I, my wife's a kindergarten teacher. I always tell you, the, the younger you are, the easier it is to be grateful for things, believe it or not, because you haven't experienced them for, for mm -hmm. a really, really long period of time. So yeah, like kids, I think we just take things for granted. We kind of fall into that rut and children haven't got there yet. <laughs> exactly, right? So kids can be thankful for their toothbrush, right? Mm. I mean, we should too, but it's just stuff like that. So that's number one. And number two is surrounding yourself with people with the same mindset, right? So my wife and I, we're not perfect. I mean, we've been married for 14 years. We have our struggles like, like any couple does. But one thing that we committed to doing with each other in, in the more recent years is having that more positive attitude about the things that are great in our lives and in our marriage specifically, right? So surround yourself with people, whether it's in your job or in your family, or maybe it's in your faith community, whatever, you, you know, whatever systems and clubs that you have, people that feel the same way and that want to help you celebrate those really, really good things. And that will help you find the good in those struggling times. It's the, so um, I know someone who got laid off of work recently during the pandemic. And the initial thought was, oh, this is terrible. I can't support my family. What are we gonna do? I need to, you know, I need to go on welfare, whatever it might be. Come to find out, they ended up having a medical problem. And because of that, they were able to figure out what was going on. And, and otherwise they probably wouldn't have gone to the doctor. Right. So yeah. that's yeah. that's huge. So yeah. those type of things that you wanna you want to consider what the other opportunities that your struggles have provided for you. Yeah, I, I love that. I too am big on gratitude journaling and either writing it down or even just thinking it through. And there mm -hmm. are a lot of things that I'm often reminded to be thankful for. I, I also try to challenge myself to come up with something I've never thought of before. You know, like one day it was paper clips. Like I never I mean, cool. you know, just little things that we can we can be thankful for. And that really just shifts our perspective on everything. But um I also love what you were talking about of sometimes the gifts or the blessings that we get handed come wrapped differently than we expected or wanted. You know, like this, the person that you were talking about, it came wrapped in being laid off of a job, which looked like ugly wrapping paper, but there was a gift hidden in there. And I think sometimes we kind of have to dig and, and mine for those gifts that are hidden in the things in life that are difficult for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen multiple examples of my life where you know, God, you know, you ask God for something and, and the, the old saying is the answer is either yes, no, or have this instead. I mean, some, and I, I, yeah. I've gotten a lot of have this instead, to be honest. Right. Maybe it's my requests are a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's always cracked me up. We, we talk about unanswered prayers. Really, 
there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. It's just sometimes the answer is no, <laughs> and we don't like that. But, no. uh, you know, as a parent, I'm like, I tell my children no, not to be mean, but because I know things they don't. You know, I say, no, you can't play in the street because I know about the truck that's coming down the lane and they don't, uh, things like mm -hmm. that. So that kind of helps me looking at those kinds of things from that perspective. If there's somebody out there who's interested in making an impact and using the gifts they've been given or even using the the trials that they've been given um, to make an impact for others, you know, sometimes we, we feel like, oh, well, what can one person do? You know, I'm, I'm not famous. I don't have all this money. I don't have all this influence. How can I make a positive impact in the world? What would you tell that person? One of my favorite sayings is you can't, you may not be able to change the world, but you can change the world for one. And when I heard that the first time, it just, my mind kind of exploded because if you go back to my description of my personality, the prior, I, I was talking about how I like to achieve, I like to do great things. Like, you know, I, I have a bit of an ego to be quite honest with you. But at that point, I didn't realize that you can make such an impact on someone by doing the simplest thing. And you may not, you may not realize it, or you may take, it may take years down the road. I'll give you a quick example of that. I was talking about my wife, who's a kindergarten teacher, one of her young students that she hadn't talked to in years. Well, he's not young anymore. I think he's 18, went off to college. He actually reached out to her last year during the pandemic and said, hey, Mrs. De Pasquale, uh, I really would love for you to come to my graduation. And her first reaction is, well, I, I you know, there's the pandemic and quarantining, I, I don't know. And then he's like, it's online now. I just want you to come to my graduation. And she's like, well, I, I would be honored to come to your graduation. I haven't heard from you in, in years. And he responded something to the effect of, yes, you haven't heard from me in years, but if I wouldn't have heard from you when I was in kindergarten, I wouldn't have made it here today. Mm. And she didn't remember anything specific about him being like a problem child or anything or specific events. He just said the way that you conducted yourself and were so nice to me and my family, there were things we were going through that you didn't even know. Yeah. And so that's a perfect example of how yeah, you don't have to solve those major world issues that we're talking about. You don't have to be the executive director of the largest nonprofit in the world. You just have to want to be kind. You got to take simple steps to make kindness habitual. And that's a big thing for me. Just like making gratitude journaling is habitual for me to understand the blessings in my life. I try to make kindness habitual as well. So whereas so with the first thought of when I meet someone is what, how are they doing? What's their well-being? Is it appropriate for me to ask them, how are you? And, and legitimately mean, how are you? Not the colloquial cliche, hey, how are you doing? Like actually mm -hmm. ask someone. And someone told me a couple of weeks ago, she said, uh, I, think, I think we were recording a podcast and she said, the way that I uh, make my how are you more effective is I ask someone to rate their how are you. So how are you on a scale of one to 10? Like I actually want to know. Like, give me an honest answer. How are you doing one to 10? So to answer your question, yeah. I think it's really important that you understand that just doing the simple things, opening doors for, for people, please and thank you, asking them how they're doing, remembering their name, addressing people, and they're asking them how their family's doing. Those are just, those simple things can make such a big difference in people's lives. Yeah, those are huge. And I feel like we've kind of lost touch with that a little in our modern world. And we're all focused on the news and, you know, the sky is falling and the latest trauma. And we kind of get caught up in that and, and fighting with the other side and forgetting that mm -hmm. there's real people there with, with also, you know, real lives, real struggles. Like we all have something going on. And I, I love just that being kind to one another. 
giving grace to each other. I'm like, I'm, I'm a person who needs a lot of grace. And so I'm also willing to give a lot of grace. And fortunately, God has an unlimited supply for us. So we're not going to run out. We just need to not be so stingy with it, I think. I completely agree. <laughs> completely agree. <laughs> we all we all need grace. Absolutely. And just be and because of that, right? It take, you know, they say it takes one to know one. So if you're someone mm. who, who knows that you need a lot of grace, then you should be willing yeah. to share it as well. Yeah. It's, it's so important. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your amazing story with us and for inspiring people to take action and take impact and to, to change the world for one, um, if not more. So where can our listeners reach out to you if they want to connect with you more or listen to your podcast or go to your website, get your newsletter? Can you tell us how to, to contact you there? Sure. BobDePasquale.com is the best way to check out the book, the podcast, the blog, all that information at Bob, B-O-B-D-E. P-A-S-Q-U-A-L-E.com at the website. And then I answer my DM. So hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at, at B-D-E-P-A, B-D-P-A. All right, great. And for those who are listening, as always, I will put those links in the show notes so that you can click on those when you get home or you stop whatever activity you're doing listening to this and um, you're ready to connect and give a shout out to Bob. So thank you so much again for coming today. It's really been a blessing to hear your story. Liz, thank you so much. Blessings to all of you out there. Be resilient. All right. Thanks. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want.